I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Welcome back. Uh, my guest today is Shivani Pao. Shivani is the host of a, an incredibly successful global podcast called A Millennial Mind. And she is the founder and CEO and major contributor of a, uh, a firm called My Performance Planner. Uh, a very interesting diversity, if you think about it, because when you meet Shivani, you feel that there are signs of both of those uh, very, very uh, present in her. One is that idea of exploration and curiosity. And then there is that very disciplined, very organized person uh, that is focused on performance and optimizing every minute of every day. Uh, the mix of two uh, makes for a wonderful friend who is uh, intelligent and informative and quite uh, uh, frequently challenging and I, you know, mind opening. Uh, so I introduce you to one of my dear friends, Shivani Pao. Thank you for being here. What a lovely introduction. I thought I was going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we know that. <laughs> no, it is, it is um, you know, that part of me where I know, I know, I don't know why, but I know people almost before the first hug, if you think about it. Yeah. And you have that, I don't know if you'll allow me to say that, but you have that rebel in you. Really? That wants to break every rule, but you don't break them when you instruct yourself not to break them. You're like very disciplined, very organized. Very... How are you a mind reader? This I'm, is strange. I'm, I'm not. I'm just old, I think. <laughs> I've seen so many people, but, but it is a lovely combination, I have to admit. I want to start from a millennial mind, if that's okay for you. Because I wonder if there is a specific mind for a millennial. Are, are they different than the old people like us or the mysterious Gen Z? What an interesting question. I think there is. Yeah. I think with the millennials, we have been brought up in this hybrid. So, you know, in this digital age, but also not in a digital age. And what that does is allow us, I think, to explore different possibilities. So I think Gen Z now are very quick with everything you know they want everything fast they want to know your answer in one second mm. and as millennials we're part of this slow generation of our parents where you know we grew up with like did you just call me slow yeah but you know what i mean like their lifestyle was very slow you know, it took us 20 minutes to find something on the internet because our internet was so slow compared to now when I can ask ChatGPT to write these questions for us for our podcast. Mm. So we're in a hybrid and I think it's confusing as to how we navigate through this life. And that's why I think mental health for us has been such a prominent part of our lives and kind of the first generation to be speaking about it. Do you think that you often uh, millennials will say that we gave you a horrible world to deal with. No. Do you think we gave you a good world to deal with? I never see a world as good or bad mm -hmm. because you can't, you can't create that label for the world. The world is the world and you can view this planet as good or you can view this planet as bad. It's all within your control. So I could have come to this podcast today 
and could have been nervous and stressed and worried and anxious that I wasn't going to get all of my questions right? Or could I have embraced this moment and thought, this is going to be four hours of me learning with Mo? And it's a learning curve. And so for me, I don't see that, oh, my parents raised me in this bad way or good way, but that has taken time. Because when I was younger, I used to think, you know, they did this wrong and they did that wrong. They just did what they did. They just tried their best. And so when people say it's a good or a bad world, the world is the way in which you view it right? Social media, people say at the moment, is really bad, right? It's toxic, it's negative, it's caused all these mental health problems. Social media has caused this conversation between you and I. Correct. Social media has allowed you to share your message with the world. Social media has given me my job. Mm -hmm. So you tell me, is it good or bad? And we can't label these things as good or bad. And we can't label people as good as bad either. So when you when you think about it, there is a, there is definitely a good side to it and a bad side to it. And when you use the good side, it's not without the costs of the bad. I mean, we were chatting just before our conversation of how accessible you and I uh, have become because of social media. And, you know, I don't know how many you get, but I get around 700,000 uh, ways of people saying, can I optimize your Instagram? Yep, all the time. Make it better, make it better. Like change the algorithm, make sure you're in line with the algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I respect the ones that really send me a message that says $100 and I'll give you 400,000 followers, you know, and you know that it's a transaction. So I apologize nicely or sometimes, sadly, I don't even answer. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I, I don't like the ones that come and say, hey, Mo, I love your work. And so I respond and say, thank you very much. And then they go chat about things for a minute or two. And then eventually they say, do you want me to optimize your Instagram? Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Be straight. Yeah, exactly. How many of those? So that's not a, it's a very difficult place to navigate. I have to say your world as a millennial is the world where it became too overstimulating, I think, over engaging. Uh, You're right when you say that our world was slow. Mm -hmm. You'd be amazed if you see my my dad's world. Uh, My dad's world was just, he was a genius, but his world was much slower than mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yours is like at at the edge of annoying. How do you deal with all of that? I always feel there's so much noise and I always feel that I'm never doing enough. And this is something I'm struggling with at the moment, which is why I said it was so great we're having this conversation. On my story, I wrote, I'm going to use this as a therapy session to ask you all <laughs> my <you> questions. Really? <laughs> but I do always feel that no matter what I do, it is never, ever enough. And that's because when you're growing online, and unfortunately, the downside to doing this online is you're looking at the numbers. I don't. And I know you don't. And that's why I find magnificent. But I also think that you don't have to look at the numbers because you have the success. Yeah. And that may be my perception, right? And this is where I think I'm always going wrong because when I was doing the podcast, I always thought if I have a product, then I will be reputable. Now I have the performance planner. I think, well, only if I sell a million units will I be reputable. And I've just said to you, well, you have the success. You were the chief officer at Google. So you have the stamp. And I'm always looking at what I don't have all the time. That's so interesting. All the time. And I think that it's difficult to navigate because you're always seeing everyone else doing so much. And I don't even think it's social media. I think it's this overstimulation. I have to post on LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram every single day to grow my podcast. Hmm. Right? I say have to. It's my choice. 
But when I'm going on each of those platforms, I'm seeing I got funded for three million pounds. I got 10 million more followers than you. I am hitting the TikTok algorithm and this is how you can grow. And then YouTube Shorts is, this is how you can get more subscribers. So I'm constantly overstimulated and how do I cope with that? And it is really just to take a step back and think, what am I doing this for? And I constantly have to remind myself that question. What are you doing this for? Yeah, I mean, and what are you doing it for? I think it's a, it's a very good question. We'll come back to that for a second. But I, I actually found it is a very confusing thing because I constantly found, and some of my dear, dear close friends are masters at doing this. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you, oh, but if you do this and do that, and then hashtag this and like it's an absolute science, right? Mm -hmm. You'll get more followers. And I thought to myself, they're right, because between you and I, mm -hmm. if my message reaches one more person and makes them happy today, it's absolutely worth the effort. But then the price I pay for that is my essence. Because if I go into those daily engagements and as a result behave in a way that is what the social media algorithm is forcing me to do, mm -hmm. then I'm not me anymore. Exactly. And, and is that the right price to pay no. to get one more? Maybe life doesn't want me to reach that one more person today. Have you thought about it this way? I talk a lot about value over yeah. virality. Yeah. And with all these platforms, there's new things you have to do. So Instagram once was a photo platform, and then it changed yeah. to video. It about the Insta. Then it changed to reels, and now it's changed to carousels. Uh -huh. And now it's changed to post five hashtags, post at this specific time, post seven stories, make sure you're engaging with every single message. And TikTok has then come about, and you should do dancing reels, and you should jump <laughs> up and down, and you should you? point to no. Do you? No. Yes, thank you. Because the thing is, Look, there's a difference between optimizing on each platform and then there's changing who you are to fit in and conform with the narrative. Mm. I am not a dancer, mm. nor am I confident at pointing at 15 different things in the sky and saying, this is going to save your mental health. These are five tips you can do. It's just not who I am. And when you watch that video of me, you will feel embarrassed for me because <laughs> it doesn't align with me. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I always talk around is focus on providing value instead of chasing virality. Mm. My video last year, when I started the podcast, I would start the podcast and I would say, um, welcome to the podcast, be very softly spoken and, you know, speak very calmly. That is not who I am. <laughs> I'm not a calm person. I was just going to say. And you know, you've known that from the one minute of meeting me today, mm -hmm. right? I'm very outspoken. I'm very strong. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you difficult questions. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, I was scared because I thought, no, I should stay within my lane. Podcasting is about asking a question and getting the answer. No, mm. the conversation should be around getting to the bottom of something that no one else has discussed. Mm. The conversation should be around providing a value to you that you at home feel less alone in whatever situation I discuss, mm. whether that's breaking stereotypes or taboos or talking about performance or productivity, whatever it is, I want you at home to feel less alone. Mm. And once I figured that out of I have to learn to be myself, that is when my podcast started getting attraction because I became fearless. Mm. And the one video that changed everything with me was stop asking me when I'm getting married. And the reason... When are you getting married? <laughs> go on, go on. <laughs> stop it. Stop. <laughs> the reason why I think that video did well is because I was showing my expressions. If you watch that video... I'm saying, how am I meant to know? I don't know. Instead of saying, how am I meant to know? I'm not sure. Mm. 
I was being myself. Mm. And that's why I always say to people is, it's there's nothing wrong with optimizing yourself on these platforms, posting at whatever time you think is right, doing the hashtags. I don't know if any of those work. I post whenever randomly. Mm. But I do think that there is so much more value in being you because that's what's going to make you go viral, not copying someone else. Yeah. I, n I never really go viral anyway. It's quite interesting. Yes, so my... you do. No, I don't. All of your videos are reaching like a million, I feel. But not, not when, I, when I produce my own content. Oh, okay, for Slow With Mo, okay. Yeah, so Slow Mo is not me at all. Slow Mo is you. So mm -hmm. if Slow Mo goes viral, it's you, it's not me, right? But also, it's funny because the stuff that goes viral for me on social media is like, is basically I'm stuck in Heathrow Airport and, you know, I'm like, oh my God, that's so funny. And no, no, no wisdom whatsoever, no preparation, no nothing. And people love that. That's so funny. And, and I'm like, maybe I should stop trying, honestly. But then I have all of those very deeply, uh, you know, analyzed concepts that define my life that I put in little squares, basically, of text. And I really, really put a lot of my entire being into analyzing those things. And nobody sees them at all. <laughs> it's quite interesting, actually. I mean, when you really think about it, if I take this whole idea of being out there logically, I would definitely not put a minute in it. Not literally, not a minute of my life, because the logic basically says, this is the worst ROI on the planet, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, you know, as you rightly said, if I start dancing, uh, because of how horrible that will look, I think people would go viral. Should we do a TikTok today of us dancing? You, you, you and I, yeah, 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 let's do, I think that would go somewhere, but it wouldn't add any value to the world. No. Can I ask you, I have a lot of questions about what you just said, and especially how people give themselves the right to ask you, when are you going to get married? But let's first tell everyone how you got to where you are. Why did you start the podcast? Why did you start My Performance Planner? Why do those things matter to you? I was never someone in, in life who believed that I was clever. Oh, is that true? Yeah, I still believe that to this day. So no, you're kidding deep, me. Deep insecurity I have. No, you're kidding me. Yeah, is I that do. parents? Yeah, I think so. What did they tell you? But also life. When you're younger, you're defined by two things. How much of a good kid you are and the grades and you get you in school. you were not a good kid. I was actually. You behaved like a good kid. Exactly. And this is why I found it weird that you said this because I've always been somebody who has done what pe my parents have told me to do. I've, yeah. I've been obedient, yeah. but I've never been happy doing it. Yeah, you're a 100% you're a so rebel. I'm not a rule breaker. You're a rebel inside in your I heart. Think so. yeah, I think so. Of course, so. If, we, if we let you, <laughs> you're going to go around smashing things. No, I swear, <laughs> maybe. It's funny because it, I, have a, I think I've got a conflict personality and I've never Every, understood does. it. You know, So when I was younger, my parents would tell me to do something and I would do it. But I would always somehow... This you're, you're raised here. I was raised what, here. What kind Sorry, of yes. school? So I actually went to school in Hammersmith. Mm -hmm. and British system, very British, conformative. You very. Have to, okay, yes. the Pink Floyd stuff, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And then I moved school. And in my school, I was actually bullied. I don't think I've ever shared this online. Oh, my gosh. headmistress bullied me. Seriously? Yeah. She was racist. She's actually in prison at the moment because she was so <laughs> racist to so many people. Yeah. Oh, my God. And um, weirdly, I've re traced this back to my childhood. I don't remember it much apart from her pulling me and shoving me against the wall. That's the only thing I remember. But my mum used to tell me that when I went to that school, I was six or seven, very young, and I used to be really scared. And my parents used to tell me every day, what's wrong with you? Why do you keep calling your grandparents to pick you up from school? And I wouldn't say anything. I was a very shy child, by the way. Mm. I wasn't so confident like I am now. 
And um, my mom said one day I threw up in the morning. Mm. And so she said, you can't go to school today. And suddenly I became happy <laughs> and I was happy all day with her. Mm -hmm. And she said, from that moment, I knew that there was something going on, mm. but you never told us. Mm. And so she said, we never knew until one day, you know, we asked the school, we, we, they sent me to the house of the headmistress. I still remember her perfume. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't remember anything weird going on at the house, by the way. Mm. But I just remember when I left the school, my parents said, you know, you told us that she was being really not nice to you and other parents started figuring it out. But from that age, I realized that I never felt safe to tell my parents, you know, this is going on because I never wanted to trouble them. Yeah. And this cascaded into my life that, you know, whenever I was feeling a deep emotion, I would never tell them. And I, I, I said this to my mom recently that, you know, when I was struggling in school, instead of telling you, mom, I'm tired, mom, I don't understand this, mm. you know, I feel like I can't concentrate, I just wouldn't say anything. So they would think I was naughty. They would think I didn't want to learn. And so what they would do is just push more tutors on me and may, instead of maybe understanding that maybe there is something that I have, you know, maybe I'm dyslexic. I still to this day cannot tell my left or right. I have to do this every time. Mm -hmm. I still don't know if I'm dyslexic. I haven't figured it out. Maybe I have ADHD because I can't focus on one thing. I have to do 15 million things. Who knows? Maybe I wasn't eating the right food because my mom would give me a chocolate sandwich with a 7-Up and a chocolate biscuit for lunch. Maybe that's why I was tired. Amazing mom. Amazing mom. The best. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for me, at, and you know, at school, you would never think that, oh, my diet is important, right? But maybe that's why I was tired. Mm. And I think that I would never had this idea of thinking, why am I like this? It was always, I'm bad. Always. That's, that hurts my heart. A deep feeling that I have. I think I'm going to cry. I still have that now sometimes. That hurts my heart. I know. It's crazy. It really is because it's not just parents and it's not just school. It's the entire system. It's the entire idea of yeah. dyslexic is a disease or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, ADHD is a condition we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I am so against that. I am yeah. so against that. I think some of the most creative humans I've ever worked with are, by definition, ADHD. Yeah. If, mm -hmm. you're, if you're hyper-disciplined, yeah. then you don't create anything. Right? No, and I, I've never got tested because I don't want to be helped. Labelled, yeah. And also, oh, yeah. No, I don't want to have help to slow down. I, I'm perfectly fine. I'm, I'm physically would be unable to manage my podcast, my workshops, my coaching, my planner, anything. If I was given medication, if I, am, have, a, if I have got I it, how would I do it? I wouldn't be able to. So I think that, anyway, my point is I never thought that I was smart because I never got good grades in school. And because of that, I think that everyone around me never thought that I was smart. And people always pointed to things on the outside. And I think we have this belief that you can be either or. You can either be pretty or you can be smart. And all ever people uh, congratulated uh, uh, me on. True? Really, honestly, all ever people said positively about me was you're pretty. And not when I was in school. This is when I'm kind of growing up. I was in school. I wasn't. I had a moustache and sideburns and glasses. I have laser now. So thank God everything has gone. But um, I really do remember when I got my GCSEs, I did terribly. And everyone said to me, you know, Shivani, you know, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to become? <laughs> my mom and dad would say, you know, you know you're never going to get anywhere if you don't study. And, you know, you need to focus on your work because, you know, you're never, you can never rely on anyone. And that was another thing. They never taught me, my parents, and I love them for this, to rely on a man. They never ever said, you'll be fine because you can marry a boy and he'll look after you. They never said that to me. They always said, 
you better make sure that you stand on your own two feet. And I think that level of independence has always made me feel like I can never rely on anyone, which is a good and bad thing. It's a bad thing. It's a bad. It is. It's a. It's a good thing because I'm. I'm. I'm able to work hard. Okay, tell me why. It is a bad thing. Why? Because humanity never succeeded by us being reliable or smart, but individuals. Mm. The only reason humanity succeeded, the only reason anyone succeeds, is because they are willing to open up and become a tribe. Yeah, you're right. If you're not a tribe, you're trying too hard. And this is the interdependence thing. Right, where you don't have to be independent, you don't have to be fully dependent. You can be interdependent. Yeah, I mean, it, the whole idea is, if you have someone in your life that you rely on who doesn't rely on you, then you have a problem. But if we if we all allow each other to rely on each other, mm-hmm. then we create a society, and we create friendships, and we create love stories, and we create connections that mm-hmm. are actually open to the fact that I am nothing alone. And it's. There's so much I have to say on this, but I guess the pushback to that, and I agree with you, the pushback to that is people would say, well, then you're going to depend on me. Yeah. Why is, what's wrong with and that? And you won't be able to stand on your own two feet. No, no, it, it's not an either or, is it? For some people it is. This is my podcast. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> but no, but I, I, <laughs> no, but I, I mean, honestly, as a friend, I will say there is a difference between I depend on you and and I can I'm worthless without you. And you're right that it's a problem because I found it to be a problem in my relationship. Absolutely. Because whenever I feel like I'm relying on my partner, I feel that I'm not worthy. That's a very interesting view of it, right? I mean, I I would not be with a woman who doesn't rely on me. What's the point? I know. Right? And you have to rely on each other. Yeah, absolutely. In a relationship, two people have to rely on each other. But I was always fear-mongered into being independent. And this is not my parents' fault. This is really not a bashing session. I don't want people to think it. No, 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 but this is, this is, I think, society as it is today. And this, I'm going to talk to you around this feminine, masculine energy. But, you know, it was really prominent to me that I had to be independent. And this idea now when I have to ask someone to do something for me or say, can I have your help? I feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel bad. And I've only learned now in my relationship because I have the most amazing partner who doesn't ever throw it in my face that I can rely on him. And not everything has to be that, you know, I have to do 50% and he has to do 50%. I will sometimes be 30 and he will sometimes be 70. And sometimes he will be 100% of something and you will be 100% of something else, which I think a lot of people don't understand. Which is hard because when you are someone who wants to be successful, you always see success as two things as well. Mm. I think, or a couple of things, fame, money and status Mm -hmm. and when one of you has the money and one of you has the fame or one of you has the status and one of you has whatever it's difficult to accept Mm. for a lot of people Mm. and those are the conversations i'm now having so when you when you went out into the world Mm. to try and make the podcast successful to try and make your company successful this was in a way to prove people oh definitely that you know that you can do it the reason why i started the podcast is like i said i went to school went to university i studied law because my parents told me i was so argumentative <laughs> and i was so strong that i should be a lawyer and i hated it and i said to them i don't want to do it and they said fine and obviously you know my parents are going to hr go into something and it was always just do whatever you can because you're never going to be anything no right? way they never said that to me by the way they never said you're never going to be anything great but i didn't get good grades so yeah. how could I be the CEO of the world? 
I couldn't because in life you believe that if you don't get good grades, you're never going to be successful. Mm -hmm. And how do we define success? Being in a six-figure job job salary. Mm -hmm. I, I was never going to get that because what job could I go into? I couldn't go into dentistry, medicine, law, any of these things. I just didn't enjoy it and I didn't get the grades. So I went into consulting and, you know, I was lazy. <laughs> I was very Sorry, lazy. I'm, 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 on my mind, I have to send that to one of my consultant friends. Because, you know, I couldn't do this. I couldn't <laughs> do that. So I went into consulting. <laughs> I went into consulting. It was just easy. I went into a grad scheme. And then through that, I went into consulting. I worked at an energy company. And um, I was lazy. I used to sleep on the way to work, sleep on the way back from work. I was very lazy as a person. I was never like this, by the way. So I, ne I was never somebody who would sleep until 2 a.m., 2 p.m. or, you know, whatever. But I was in a relationship where that person's priorities were different from mine. Mm -hmm. And I was very jealous in terms of if he wanted to go out, I said I was going to go out. Right. Mm. And I fell into this trap where I remember thinking I'm just not happy. Mm. So I ended the relationship. And at this time, I got into consulting because I was on a graduate scheme. And I was learning about Stephen Covey and Dale Carnegie. Mm. And I don't know what it was, but I really found it interesting. Mm. I was like, this is fascinating. And at the same time, I did this course at Warwick. And they were talking around leadership and productivity and performance and culture and telling me all these different conceptions. Mm. And I found it fascinating. And Jay Shetty was on the rise and Simon Sinek came into my life and all these people. And I remember thinking, wow, I have the ability to change my life. So what am I going to do with it? Mm. And I just started to embrace myself in these principles. And suddenly I felt alive. And this was a time where my mom's cousin, Rashma Sajani, I'm going to introduce you, you'd love her. She founded Girls Who Code, mm. which is the like, largest organization in the world, which teaches girls to code. And she used to, Oh, yes, yes, of course. So she used to work in the White House with Hillary Clinton. She was really yeah, yeah. successful. I follow her while she's amazing. She's amazing. And when I say she's my auntie, she's my mom's cousin who I met one time in my life who lives in New York. Mm -hmm. She was on a book tour in London. And my mom said, why don't you come and meet her? We're all going for lunch. And my response was, I'm not coming to meet your stupid cousin. I don't care. I don't want to come. Why would I do that on a Saturday? I don't know what it was. I was in London and I said, fine, I'll just go. Again, I will, every time I realized I am a rebel, I will argue and say no. And I will always do the thing my parents asked me to do. <laughs> so I realized I just need to stop. I either need to stop one or the other, uh -huh. right? I'll always put resistance and then I'll always do it. So anyway, I went and that moment changed my life because I'd never seen an Indian woman who was so strong, who was so confident, who was so kind and who was so intelligent. Yeah. When I look around all the women in my life that were in my family, within my community, none of them went to university. Mm. They all are people who are obedient who conform, who don't say anything. And doesn't mean they're not amazing in their own way. My mom is the most amazing human being you'll ever meet in your life. She's the kindest, most empathetic, most understanding person I've ever met. But she, you know, has never been someone who's been able to express herself in the way she perhaps wants to. Mm. And Rashma, when I met her, was just so confident. And so I said to her, very driven, and so that evening she had a book dinner and she said, why don't you come? I said, okay. So again, I went to this dinner and again, now I'm seeing 20 women that are exactly like her. Mm. And I walked into that dinner, bear in mind, I met her for the first time, maybe once when I was seven or eight, but she, for the first time we spoke, I walked in there and she said to her publisher, she's going to write a book one day. And that made me feel that someone else believed in me. Oh, yes.
without knowing. And only this has come out recently when I've understood why I was so drawn to this woman. And that evening I had a great time. Anyway, as fate has it, that summer, for the first time we were going to New York as a family. And I was traveling by myself before, you know, like you said, I just want to smash plates. I just want to be a hippie and live in Bali. And I walked around barefoot and I had no makeup on and I was free. And that was the happiest time of my life. But anyway, when I came back, we were going on a family holiday to New York. And I said to her, can I, can I shadow you for a day? You know, like I want to just learn from you. And as I went into her office, again, she walks in and her team are like, good morning, you've got this, you've got this. And I've always been inspired by busy people. You know, I don't know why. They just remind me of, I don't know what, TV you see, Limitless. You know, they're just walking in with a suit. And uh, she said, I've got a, I'm doing a podcast today. Now, at this time, I was listening to Tom Bilyeu, Lewis Howes, mm -hmm. Jay Shetty, Stephen Butler. Well, Stephen Butler wasn't alive then, sorry. Not Stephen. Wasn't alive. Wasn't alive, no. Wasn't doing his podcast then. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, all part, of these yeah. high production podcasts. And I thought that to do a podcast, that is what you have to do. Yeah. So when she said we're doing a podcast and we went into this room with no windows, it was just a meeting room, and she spoke into a mic and she just talked, I thought, I want to do that. Yeah. I have so much to say. And she said, do it. I believe in you. You have something within you. And she said, I think you can do it. And again, it was, she doesn't even know this, but it was the subtle encouragement of someone successful believing in me because everyone else around me just didn't. And it wasn't their fault. It's because we are taught that if you don't get a first class honors, if you don't get 10A stars, if you're not working in the city, killing yourself till 11 o'clock and earning 70,000 pounds, you're not successful and you never will be. That's what we're taught. And that's what I believed. And so I came back to the UK and I called everyone I knew and I said, get, can you ask this person if they'll be on my podcast? And the other day I saw my list and it's so funny. Everyone now says to me, do you remember when you asked me to be on your podcast? And I'm like, no. And they're like, you did. And I'm like, oh, did I? I don't remember. But I just asked anyone and anyone to be on my podcast. And so I started it. I recorded two episodes and guess what I did? I didn't release them for six months because again, I was not good enough. Yeah. So in COVID, when a boy said to me, are you ever going to do this? You always say you're going to do something. You're never going to do it again. I'm going to prove you wrong. So I released them and the podcast did really well. It got to number 10 in the mental health charts in the UK on the first day. Did it. And my response as usual was, is this a prank? Yeah. <laughs> is this a joke? Is this a fluke? Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that throughout my journey, every bit of success that I have is always justifiable based on, yeah, but it's because of this. And, you know, it's because I got lucky and um, it's hard and, Anyway, my point is, is that I started it and I can, did season one. I was in my corporate job. I was a management consultant. I took a break. I did season two. I took a break. I did season three and it really flopped. And at this point, I thought, I just want to give up. This is a nightmare. And obviously, my guiding angel, Reshma, comes to the UK and she says to me, do you want to come to the Oxford Union with me? Because I'm doing a debate tomorrow. And I said, yeah, of course went to Oxford Union, and there was a debate for three hours. And I thought, I haven't wanted to go to the toilet or eat something or I haven't fallen asleep <laughs> for three hours because this is engaging. And what am I missing with my podcast? Because the content is great, but the delivery is obviously not. And so I came back and I said, I'm going to give myself one more shot. I'm going to get a studio and I'm going to make it a bit more debatey and I'm going to try 
And um, I did. And then, do you know the Stephen Bartlett story? Mm -mm. So uh, again, Rashma, she really is the inspiration for everything. She messages me one day when I'm at work on a Friday. She lives in New York and she said, do you know who Stephen Bartlett is? And I was like, yeah, obviously. You know, he's got the biggest podcast in the UK. And she said, um, he's asked me to be on it. And I said, no way. And I said, is it in LA? And she goes, yeah. I said, what are the dates? And that was the first time I was going to LA since I was a child with my boyfriend. Mm. Because I wanted to film some podcasts. Mm. And guess what? The dates aligned. No way. Out of nowhere. Mm. And so I flew to LA and I said, can I come with you? She said, sure. So I went to the podcast and Stephen, as you know, is just as warm as you. And we it's got along straight away. Yeah. And he was asking me all these questions about my podcast. And bear in mind the day before I said, I bet you he's going to let me reuse his equipment. I bet no you way. he's going to let me film with him. Mm -hmm. And I said this to my boyfriend. And I, at the end of the podcast, I said to him, I have to ask you something. And he goes, yes, I'll invest in your business. Yes, I'll do whatever you want. You know, whatever you want. And I said, can I please borrow you for five minutes right now to do the podcast? It was 40 degrees that day. There was no AC in there. He had just recorded two hours with Rashma and it was six o'clock. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And I took out my little tiny camera from my bag. And I said, where should I put this to get the best angle? And he looked at his producer and he said, let's just use the equipment here. Hmm. And in that moment, I remember thinking, I knew he was going to do that. Because I really believe that people want to help people. And in that moment, why would he not? Oh, many people wouldn't. But what I'm saying is that I knew from the way he wants to help people with the mission that he's doing, that he wanted to help me. He didn't have to. It wasn't an easy thing for him to do. He had to get his team to then work on all the cameras. But I really believe that he was genuine. And that's why I really believe that he would say yes. And then we recorded our podcast. I really, really admire Stephen. I have to say this. I really do too. I think he's a... When I joined Google, most people don't know that. I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine because I was about to retire. I had made all the money I needed to. And I asked my friend and he said, this is your chance to prove that people can make it while they're good. Okay. okay. So the whole idea for me was when I joined Google was, can I be chief business officer of something that big while I'm not political, I'm not evil, I'm not money hungry, I'm not driven for power and... And I think Stephen is exactly that. Stephen is successful, but he's not successful because, and he does all of the right moves, but, yeah. but he's a genuinely wonderful human being. I agree. Can I just highlight to you on the other hand that yeah. you didn't succeed because Stephen was kind? No. I mean, on the other hand, honestly. But people love to say that. Do you remember how many times you pushed me for us to meet? I do. Yeah. You know, that persistence mm -hmm. where... I get a thousand messages. Mm -hmm. I really do. I mean, and I have to admit, I'm not going to be the one listening to a millennial's mind. It's not my, I, I don't listen to podcasts in general, but it's yeah. not my topic, right? And you have that way of, no, no, listen to me. I have something to tell you here. And then I look the other way and then you take me and go like, <laughs> listen, I have something to tell you. Yeah. But I think people forget that. So when I recorded the podcast with him, People always seem to think, so that was in April. I only had 6,000 followers at this time. And people seem to think that because of that, I got to 100K by November. 
And I always think, wait, wait, where, where did that happen? What, what happened to all those months in between? And whilst, you know, Stephen was so kind to me, and even when we came back, he wrote a whole LinkedIn post about why you should always ask. And in the Davina McCall podcast, he talked about it again. The point is, is what happened with Stephen happens with every single guest. I have to beg and chase and ask and ask a million times, will you be on my podcast? And asking that question happens in everyone's life, whether you're asking for a promotion, whether you're six years old and asking your brother to play with you, whether you're, you know, in school and you want to make a new friend. Mm. Asking the question can be applied in every area. And it doesn't mean that when you get someone big that you've done something extraordinary. It just means you've continued to do the same thing you've been doing for years. And that has always been my message is you always have to ask. The worst that someone can say is no. And regardless of if he had said no or not, I still went to go and watch him record, right? Mm. And so I never had that loss of expectation in my mind. I always thought I've won either way with him. Obviously, I was very happy to have recorded with him, but I was happy to have done that. And when I came back is when I really, you know, started pushing more and more because on the podcast, he said to me, if you keep improving by 1%, you will be number one in five years. And on this, still on the days I feel like giving up, I just put the clip on and then I watch it and I sometimes get teary and then I go back and I keep going again. Because what people don't know about the Stephen Bartlett podcast, it wasn't, oh, wow, it's Stephen Bartlett. It was the number one person within your field telling you you could do it. That's what people missed. Mm. That's why it was so special to me because I had someone telling me who knows what they're doing within the field that you want to excel in that I believe in you. So how can I ever give up? So that moment changed a lot for me within me and, it, and I still am always so grateful and thankful to him and he's such a kind person on so many ways, not just with the podcast. Do you believe in you now? I still struggle with it. Mm. I'm very emotional today. This is the wrong time to do the podcast. <laughs> It's a really hard... Years and years of conditioning is very hard to break. Very hard. And I will always doubt myself with everything that I do. Even with you. I had been messaging you for a long time, right? And I spoke about you in a clip, actually. And when you talk around grief and you said acceptance is the last stage, so you should just get there quicker, how you did with Ali. And uh, three or four days later, someone from your team messaged me. And the first thing I thought was, oh, this is obvious because I did this clip about him. I didn't tag you. I don't think I tagged you. I don't think I even mentioned your name. I don't know. I can't remember. And I thought, well, obviously, because I've spoken about Mo, this is why they've done it. And I said to her, oh, this is so funny because I've been chasing Mo for months to come on my podcast. And she said, I had no idea you've been asking him. And I had no idea about the clip. We just liked your podcast. So Mom wants you to come on. And in that moment, I thought, what? That's weird. And every time this podcast has been moved, right? And when it was moved, the first thing I thought, of course, he doesn't want to do it with me. <laughs> of course, he's realized, you know, I'm not good enough. And that happens every time a guest cancels to this day. It's always, I'm not good enough. They're not good enough for me. I mean, I'm not good enough for them. They realize that I'm not good enough for them and therefore they're canceling. And I've only realized recently that is a deep, deep insecurity about what I went through in my childhood about my grades and my intelligence. And I've spoken about it for years, but I always thought that I've overcome it. 
And it's only recently when I'm recognizing that it's coming through in so many different avenues, whether it's someone who says to me, well, how do you even make money from this podcast? And I think, oh, God, do you think I'm stupid? Hmm. And where, where is this even going? Or, you know, you should try something else. And before it was always other things that would trigger me. And, and now it's, well, where are you going to, how are you going to do this in five years time? And someone the other day said, you're only successful because you're pretty, because you have pretty privileged money. And the only reason people listen to you is because they like looking at you. And I remember thinking, this is always going to trigger me if I don't uncover what it is underneath. And so at the moment, I'm trying to figure out why it hurts me. That people tell you that? Yeah. Can I share something with you Please. that most people, as you know, I don't really understand why people like my voice. I really honestly don't. You have okay. the best voice. Thank you. I mean, it is quite interesting for me because I never understood this. Okay. But now I do. I mean, now, now I realize that people like my voice. Okay. Right. Which in manhood is considered pretty. Do you understand that? Yeah. Right. You have a pretty uh, voice. People say it to me too. Yeah. And... I also don't think of myself as intelligent at all. I'm very diligent in, in the research that I do on certain topics and I'm the most stupid human being on the planet on other topics, right? This is so funny. I've said to millions of people, you're the smartest man I think I'll ever meet. Watch my story before I come. <laughs> thank you. So you see, now I learned to say thank you, okay? But that also makes, you, makes me sapiosexual, which means a lot of women find me attractive for my intelligence. Yes. Right? Now... Here's the interesting side, and I say this with a lot of respect for everyone, so don't please judge me on this. The interesting side is I, I look at my voice and my ability to show intelligence in certain topics as my duty to advance my mission. Yeah. So, so I will use my voice as much as I can in terms of recording my audiobooks myself, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, it's still not coming true, but I'm working on that idea of a podcast or some kind of recordings that I call bedtime stories, which yes. is to share fables of wisdom before you sleep and so on. So I use those to my advantage. And of course, to my advantage here means to advance my mission. Yeah. But if I wanted to be a billionaire and make money, I would also happily use those. Okay. Interesting, however, how a woman would not think of her beauty as one of the things that make her successful. Why not? I mean, most U.S. presidents are six foot or higher or taller, right? Most CEOs are six two or taller. Really? Yeah. And men have that advantage and they use it to their advantage, right? Why is it that a woman gets offended when someone says, but one of the reasons why you're successful is because you're beautiful. Why is that a bad thing? It's not necessarily a bad thing. And I agree with you. If you have something, use it, right? I, like I, people say it to me, you have a great voice, so I'm going to use my voice. Correct. And if I, people think I'm good looking, I'm not going to come on this podcast in my tracksuit and with no makeup on. I'm going to get ready for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm very aware of that. People say that you are only successful because you're pretty. Oh. And that's the difference. Yeah. And people say that you have a pretty privilege and therefore all of the opportunities you've got mm. are because that you're pretty. And therefore they shouldn't be. And the mathematical logic of that is to say, but there are others who are pretty that didn't get, get as far as I did. So there must and be something different. And also being pretty is subjective. Mm. You know, when I did modeling, I was the ugliest person there. I barely got any jobs. 
So <laughs> this statement is so you know, when I was a model, I was the ugliest among well, the models. I, but, I, yeah. I never got any 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 big jobs, and people would always say to me, "Oh, we need to Photoshop this," and you know, I would always feel deeply insecure when I was a model because people would always comment about that something being wrong with my face. I wasn't skinny enough. My cheekbones weren't here. Whatever, my face wasn't symmetrical. When people say that. I, I completely agree that, you know, there is a there is pretty privilege and, and I understand that. What is hard, though, is when people say you've only become successful because you're pretty. And again, that is my own insecurity because I've never believed that I was intelligent because I didn't get 10 A stars mm. and five A's in school. I think the core of this conversation so far is to say, please be kind to your kids. Please, people. Yeah. Please. <laughs> but this is not being blaming my parents. I really hope they don't watch this and, and think it's their fault. No, I think you're, be you're very kind to your parents and I think your parents have done the best they can. For sure. You know, I, I was the kind of parent that would get very, very upset when Ali scored a B in geography. Really? Yeah, I wanted him to score a C or a D. Why? Because it wasn't his topic and geography sucks. Like, why would you, why would you get anyone to study geography? But where did you learn that from? Were your parents like that? I always had that brain fog that didn't get me to see things like the same way people see it. Why? I don't know. It's probably a, uh, a brain defect, if you want. There is a lot of input in the world that doesn't make it to my brain at all. Like? Like I, don't, I know nothing about politics. I know nothing about what makes someone a good student or not. I, I just, for, for a very long time, I made up my views of this is what matters and then put a ton of attention onto what I believed matters. I mean, this is why I tell you when people think I'm very intelligent, if, if you talk to me about cricket, I'm not at all, right? Mm -hmm. If you talk to me about Marxism or whatever, I have no idea what you're talking about, okay? Mm -hmm. It's just that I dedicate disproportionate amount of brain cycles to specific topics. And so I get good at them. And then I don't speak in public about any other topic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you tell me Messi, the footballer, and you ask me what makes a good footballer, I have no idea, mm -hmm. okay? I actually probably recognize him from a Pepsi ad, not from football, right? And I, did he do a Pepsi ad? I don't know. I, I mean, think so. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, someone sent me a, a very, like, an incredible footballer, but that's, like, literally, that's the number of brain cycles he received from me in life, okay? Mm -hmm. And so there were quite a few things in my childhood where I simply looked at them up front and I said, that's not my topic at all. Social studies, for example, I use as an example all the time social studies, if, if it took you, see, you know, six brain cycles units to achieve a C, that's all I gave it. That's it. It was six brain cycles, nothing more than that. And your parents would, this is your podcast, sorry, I'm literally going into <laughs> no, interview mode. And um, did your parents ever say to you to focus on your strengths? Not that way, but my mom specifically. My, so I had those two of, you know, two extremes. My dad was basically saying, don't learn anything at all. Really? Yeah, just go out in the fields. You'll learn everything in the field. Okay. And, and I think my dad made probably the same mistake I made in, in all of my dealing with people, including my kids and so on, where I, where I tended to believe that it was 10,000 hours. If you, if you put 10,000 hours in anything, you'll, you'll get there, right? Okay. And so my dad, I think when he made that assumption, he didn't recognize how much of a math prodigy he was. I think until the day he left our world, he didn't recognize that. And nobody ever recognized that because he, we lived in Egypt and, mm. you know, I was the only one that recognized that because I was a bit of a math geek myself, mm -hmm. right?
right? And I was like, you don't understand. This is very unusual how much you understand math intuitively because I was the one comparing to the rest of the kids in school and there was only one other child that was more advanced than me in mathematics. And I could now sort of build that comparison if you want. But you see, it was just mathematics. So, so I was so good at it that if I did badly at math, I would feel what you're feeling about. I'm not good enough. Why? Why would, yes. would I not? And I remember vividly Hamad uh, Abu Lainin, which was my sort of like the only other child in university or school that did math quicker than me and more accurately than me. I remember vividly, I was very jealous because we would go into first year in engineering university exams mm -hmm. and we would both finish and score an A+, but he would finish half an hour before me. And I'm like, what the is wrong with you like why why is he finishing before and i had the conversation with him openly and i sat him down and i said i don't get this why do you finish early and he sat me down and he said how do you do math and i said what do you mean how do i do math is there are different ways to do math and he said yeah there is the way they taught you in school is that how you do math and i said yeah and he said that's wrong that's the worst way you can ever do mathematics because they adjust the courses to the slowest child in the class Okay, and I said, what do you mean? And, and actually until today, the way I do mathematics is not the way you were learned in school at all. So if you ask me to, to, to do long division, I bounce back and forth around the answer. That's most people who know mathematics will just bounce back and forth. So if it's, you know, if you tell me what's 42 divided by 17, I will start by what is 40 divided by 20 and then keep adjusting until it's 42 and 17, right? And it's, it is very inaccurate at first. And then you can adjust your accuracy depending on how far you want to be from the accurate answer, right? So 40 by 20 is roughly two. So 42 by 17 is a little more than two. And you can quickly say, yeah, it's a little more than two. Is that okay for you? And if the answer requires more accuracy, you go like, okay. So let me say it's 42 by 20. You know, that's 2.1. Is that okay for you? Right? And you can keep going from there, or 2.05, but anyway. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Maths is not my forte. But that's, that's the game. The game is when you do badly in math, you feel, you, I felt bad, but when I did badly in geography, I didn't give a shit. Yeah. Wasn't my thing, so why should, what I feel bad about? And I think where most, where most parents fail is that they expect their kids to be geniuses at everything. You don't know what your thing is. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly how I felt. And when you never know what your thing is, you believe that you are nothing because you're not attached to any of those things. Okay. And so, Shivani, you're not nothing. No, I know that now. <laughs> but I think growing up, I just thought, where am I ever going to go? Mm. You know, I'm, I'm never going to... I never had big dreams, weirdly, but I always thought I was going to do really well. Mm. It's very strange. Mm. When I came into, I think when I left university, I always thought I'm going to do really well in life. Mm. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Mm. But in that period of time, I remember when I was feeling that, in that, when I was breaking up in that relationship and I was going to work and I was sleeping on the way there and sleeping on the way back, I remember thinking, this isn't my life. Mm. This isn't who I was meant to be. And I, I never know why I've always thought I was going to be okay, but I never thought that I would be the best at anything because I was never the best. You know how you said you knew maths? I didn't have anything like that. And so how could I ever dream and say I was going to be this when I didn't have a direction? Mm. And so when I had the podcast, when I quit my job last year, 
it really was because I have to try to be the best in something. Yeah, it's one thing that's and that, one that's thing that the I best love. Advice ever. Yeah. And so let me try. Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to be in my corporate job and keep this podcast going as it is, and I'm never going to be the best in either. And do I believe that I could be number one? I do. You do. I do. Yeah. I have days where I don't. <laughs> but I do. And so that's why I, that's why I took that jump and that risk. What would you tell someone who doesn't believe that they can be the best at something? Every single person can be the best at something. One thing. One thing. Yeah. Every single person that you meet will have one unique thing that they are really, really, really good at. How do they find that out? Reflection. Every day in the planner, and I wrote this in there, write down what, you're, what you are good at or what you enjoyed. Just one question. What did you enjoy about your day and what are you good at? If I had reflected and figured out that I am really good at getting people to open up to me from the first time I meet them. And this happened to me all the time when I was a kid. I remember when I went to go get my laser eye surgery and within minutes the guy told me that they were going bankrupt. The following week they filed for bankruptcy. How was I meant to, how, why did he tell me that? Yeah, how old were you? I was like 20 something. Wow. When I was younger, people would, I had a really strong intuition when I was really young. And I remember I would, I remember this is so funny. I said to my cousin, I know you've broken my thing because there's cameras in this room. And she said, no, I didn't. I said, I'm going to go check the camera. And she said, okay, I did. And that was just a feeling mm. that I had that she broke something. Mm. When I was in primary school, I had a feeling that there was something wrong in the toilet. This is so weird. It's going to sound spooky. And I went in the toilet and someone had started their period. And we went to a mixed school when we were, and this is primary school when you're up to 11. And so I was able to tell the teacher. But I just had a feeling. And when I was, ever since I've been younger, my parents have asked me for advice. Everyone in my family would tell me things first. And I had this ability to let people open up to me. And I never knew that was a strength until I started the podcast. And my mom would say, this is why you get people to open up to you. You've always been like that. Or it's when people would come on the podcast, they would say, I've never shared this before. Mm. I've never felt like I could open up to anyone about this. And only now I'm like, why did I not reflect and realize I have this ability to get people to get open up to me? And then when I, had a, I have an ability to engage people in conversation, because since I've been young, I've always loved public speaking. You know, people would be scared to do, you know, speak on stage. I would always ask my headmistress, can I read this poem? Can I read this inspiring story? Can I please read this newspaper article in front of assembly, in front of the whole school? And I would always ask that. So if you want to find out what your strength is, if you want to find out what your purpose is, just ask yourself every day, what did I enjoy and what am I good at? And you'll find it. What do I enjoy, I think, is the absolute key. I, I liken it to the tuning fork of a guitar. If you were uh, an old person like me, you would tune your guitar with a tuning fork. And the fork will always make an E sound. That's it, yeah. right? And if you forced it to do anything else, if you forced it to learn geography, it wouldn't. Yeah. Okay? It's just good at making the E sound. Now, the problem is for most of us, we think and ask ourselves, what good is that for? Mm. If I can make an E, what good is that for, right? Mm. Yeah, you're the best thing on the planet for tuning guitars. That's, yes. that's it. And, and I think the idea is that we have those preset concepts of what can make money, what can produce success. You know, and where I grew up, it was be an engineer or be a doctor. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, we, we didn't know anything else. And, and so when you realize that what you're good at is 
people open up to me and you, you accept that as a strength and then tell yourself, what can I do that? What can I use that for to make my world and the, the small world around me better? Mm -hmm. Then you're on your track. Can I ask you, when I looked at your podcast, yeah. A Millennial Mind, mm. yeah, when you search for A Millennial Mind on, on YouTube, Almost every conversation that pops up is about relationships and love and how love is not working and cheating really? is okay and cheating is not okay and love is working and... Really? That's what happened to me, is that... Maybe because it's recent. I just did the one about cheating. Did, and the yeah. relationship one that I did did really well. Okay. But so I've only, not, I've only that... done two or three okay, on that so out of not... the hundreds of episodes. So I, I, I thought to myself, I thought to myself, either this is truly what's on the millennial's mind or that that's what's on your your mind? No, it's okay. not. Right. I, I don't often speak about relationships. I've done one episode with a therapist, relationship therapist, another one with an, another therapist who talked around narcissism, and both those episodes did really, really well. And then just now I did a podcast with this girl from Rona, mm -hmm. uh, from Rona, called Rona. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's also from Egypt. Oh, yeah, is she? And we talked around, is cheating wrong? Mm. And so maybe those three came up because they're the, those other two were the most viewed and then that one was the most recent with her. So maybe that's why we saw that. Okay, so that's not yeah. the only thing on a millennial's no. mind. What, what's what's the, the biggest thing on a millennial's mind? In every episode, we talk around mental health. Mm. And my aim of the podcast is to provide a guideline for someone watching it to feel less alone. Mm. And the reason for that is when you're going through something, the number one feeling you feel is that I'm alone. No one understands me. Now, that is true. The people within your close circle and your friends will not understand how it feels to be made redundant and have X amount in savings. The person you know next to you won't understand how it feels to lose a father. The person next to you won't understand how it feels to have your boyfriend cheat on you. But there will be someone in the world who does. And when you listen to a conversation about how that person went through that experience, how they felt and how they overcame it, it's going to help to inspire you to overcome it too. And that's why there's such a broad range of topics on a millennial mind, because I want to provide that comfort and that safety and that guide for as many people as I can. And your listeners are millennials only, or can I listen to this? If I listen to it, will I be zapped? You will not be zapped. Are you sure? I'm sure. Okay. It's mainly 25 to 34. It's 60% of my audience, yeah. 25 to 34. Yes. Interesting. I thought, being the businessman that I am, that it's mostly going to be marketing people trying to sell to millennials. <laughs> I wish. Can you help me do that? I think that's really the core. Uh, I mean, the, I think so. Let, 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 let's. Uh, okay, guys, we're going to leave you now. No, uh, but I, I actually think this, there is. Uh, I mean, Gen Z is. When I was running Google, understanding how millennials behaved was really a very big topic for us. It's, really? Oh my God, yeah, 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 we had no clue. Because... What a shame I didn't start this year ago and Google didn't sponsor my yeah, podcast, yeah. right? Yeah, it was like, oh, what is that new specimen of human? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I hope you can help me with that. Yeah, one, one of my favorite comedies of all time, if you've seen her, Eliza Schlesinger, I think. It's on Netflix, it's called The Elder Millennial. I haven't watched oh, it. Oh, you absolutely have to watch okay. it. Okay. You you, I mean, you may want to even bring her on to your podcast. Is it well. funny? It's funny, but she's very intelligent. So okay. she's very, very, she speaks about truly what it's like to be a millennial woman. Okay. 
love and relationships. And she's she's really, I mean, in my, in my mind, I laugh out loud because I sort of understand humans. I, sto- I sort of understand what a woman really thinks, yeah. not what she sh- tries to show the world that she yes. thinks. And Eliza basically, you know, one, one of, my, of my favorite bits is where she says, oh, it's, it's creepy when someone, you know, sort of harasses you at work un- unless he's cute. And of course it is. Like, that is okay, funny. isn't it? Then it's fine. Like, that's so funny. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, in a, in a very interesting way, I think the, the idea of classifying someone by their age group has been quite uh, shocking for me because, of course, you can't. No, yeah. I believe that I'm very old. Do you really? Yes, because I don't like to go out that much. I like (laughs) to stay at home as much as I can. I like to, my ideal life would be to wake up early at 5 a.m. and then be with my partner and go to sleep at 9 o'clock and go to bed. You know, that is that is the life we dream Don't of. Don't advertise that in public. Yeah, no, that is the life we dream of. We say uh-huh. it all the time. When we move in, we're so excited that we're going to go to sleep at 9 p.m. and we're going to get into bed and watch a series. And, you know, whenever I go in public, and this is going to be alarming, I hope people don't watch your podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm yet to go to an event where I don't spend a lot of time in the toilet. Do you not? I'm yet to go to one. Mm-hmm. I struggle. Because you're a hi- hyper introvert. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, and people, this is what I mean by labels. Mm-hmm. I love people and I love to speak to people and learn things from them. But we've become a society where people judge you and, you know, love you based on false narratives. When I would go out before, people would just say like, hi, how are you? Whatever. And now when I go out, everyone's like, oh, my God, you grew your Instagram so quickly. How did you do it? Tell me the method. Oh, my God, this is amazing. You're so amazing. You're so amazing. Am I amazing? Do you actually think, why am I amazing? You just said this podcast is me. Mm. My podcast is my guest. So why am I so amazing? And it's not about me having the self-doubt and going into this rabbit hole. But I think that we, we have all these false measures of success. And we, we really focus on those rather than focusing on who we truly want to be motivated by, who we truly feel inspired by, and who we truly love. There are a lot of people out there who, there's someone I interviewed, and I really did not get a good energy from her. I really, really just felt awful after it. And everyone I've spoken to after, I said, oh my God, you had that person on your podcast. Aren't they so amazing? And I keep thinking, it's not how I felt. It's not how I felt. And and how do I express that? I just say, yeah. And I just, you know, you always know for me when I'm lying, because if I'm not expressing, <laughs> I'm lying. <laughs> but, you know, I sometimes think we focus on the wrong thing. And that's why I mean is when you go to the events, I feel people are always focusing on the wrong thing. Mm. We need to focus on, on the right thing. And that is really how you feel around someone and how much they have influenced your life in the right way. Not always in the most positive way, though. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. Yeah, I will say openly, you have that very interesting energy in, in you that you may not be able to pinpoint. Where you're, you're sort of inviting. You're very huggable, I think. You're really huggable, though, as well. I uh, gave a Ali. very good hug. That's Ali. That's not very me. nice. Really? Oh my God, that boy was so huggable. I mean, when we. When Ali left, I think he sort of like on the way out, took a few traits and said, okay, okay, so just give those to daddy before he left. And he was so incredibly huggable. Ali, I mean, when he was young, we would have pictures of him 
in the middle of the photo and then six girls on this side and six girls on the others. You know, like literally the furthest one on this side, you know, trying very hard to just touch his shoulder because there is that beautiful energy to him. But you are very uh, inviting. You're a person that really gets people to want to talk to you which is, uh, I know we're, we're a bit over time, but I want to talk about this, about my performance planner, which yeah. thank you very much for giving me this. You're so freaking organized. Like, what is this? So I started it because on the back of the podcast, people said, can you coach me? And I said, I was already a management consultant, right? I don't do live coaching, but I'm, I think the one thing my job used to always tell me is, Shivani, you're very, very holistic, I'm a, if you told me your problems right now, I think I could solve them. Like, you tell me, I would be able to tell you, okay, this, 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 and this. But I'm not good with the detail. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm just not a detailed person. Mm. I'm very like, whatever, blah, whatever. Mm. With the podcast, I'm not, though. With the podcast, everyone, in my, everyone I speak to is like, you're just so particular about every little thing. <laughs> and with my life, I've always been very holistic. So when I started coaching, I realized that there's a simple template people can do to achieve their goal. I, lo I love that. It's very simple. You write your goal, make it big. I want to earn 10,000 pounds a month. Great. Break it down. What does that mean? How are you going to achieve that? And then you say, okay, well, in week one, I'm going to focus on this. Week two, I'm going to focus on this. Week three, week four. The mistake people make is that you have goals, but you also have life. Mm. And so what I've created with the planner is breaking everything down where you can break down your goals, but also incorporate your life into it. The left-hand side is all around your performance and your productivity, but the right-hand side is all around your mind. You cannot be high performance if you are just focusing on hitting your goals. Mm. You have to be grateful every day. Mm. You have to write your affirmations. You have to know where you're going mm. and you have to reflect. And the key question in that is, what am I proud of every single day? And I guarantee if you write that, it's going to increase your confidence more than you know. Mm. If you write down what you enjoy, which is a question in there, you're going to figure out your strengths. And if you're going to figure out what can be better tomorrow, you're always going to be doing that 1% improvement to be the best. And so what it really is, is about focusing on what you want. In different areas of your life, you can write it down for. And I do workshops on this where I say focus on your career, focus on your health, focus on your hobbies, focus on your relationships. But if not, everything is written in there. For me, it's walk to podcast today. It's written in there. So I know I've done it. Oh, wow. People don't granularly plan every minute of their day. Mm. And I do that. But I give myself one hour to watch TV in the evening. I give myself 30 minutes to go and get a walk and get my coffee. Because what you're missing when you're doing that is you think you have so much time, but you actually don't. Yeah. And what you get from doing that is how much of my day am I spending on the things that I love? That's what made me quit my job. Every day I was writing 5 a.m. till 8 a.m. podcast, 8 a.m. till 6 p.m. job, 8, 8 p.m. till 10 p.m. podcast. Why is the majority of my day on my job? I hate it. Mm. And what did I, what am I proud of? My podcast doing well. What did I enjoy? My podcast. What can be better tomorrow? How I can improve my podcast. So why am I doing my job? But a lot of people will say I'm doing it because I have to, right? I have to pay bills. I have to. Of course. Mm. Everything is a choice, by the way. Everyone, everyone has the right choice they have to make. And I was in a fortunate position where I was living at home, mm. right? And like you said, where you shouldn't use, you know, you should use your power. Should I then just stay? In, I, I then realized 
that I'm living at home. My parents didn't agree with me quitting my job, by the way. They didn't talk to me. They refused. They were so yeah. angry. My dad yeah. was so angry at me. Yeah. And I said, I'm in a position where I'm living at home. And so I don't have to pay the rent. So I'm going to quit and do my job. Now I live by myself. I moved out. And I'm in a position where I'm struggling sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I've said it openly so many times. Everyone can look at your... There's people online that will like to share their life in the way that they want to tell it to you. I couldn't care less if someone looks at my life and thinks, oh, you're doing your podcast and you're not earning loads of money. I want someone to look at that and think, I'm, I don't have tons in savings. I don't have loads of income coming in, so I can do it if Shivani can. And that's my message, is that I don't have a life right now where I've gone on loads of holidays. I don't have a life right now where I can go to fancy restaurants to eat. I don't like going to fancy restaurants, but I'm just saying that my focus, I've made a choice to sacrifice on certain things in my life so I can do this. And some months I think, how the hell am I going to get through? I push myself so hard and something bites. Mm. And I think, I've got it within me. And when you put yourself in deep water, you will either sink or you will swim. And if you're focused, I believe that you will always swim. And you will, I would never have thought that I could do this. I never would have thought I will have the amount of savings because when is enough? When is enough? It's never enough. It is. It's always enough. And it's always enough. Mm. And so you will always think, oh, I can't do this at the moment. It's not the right time. What if this happens? But what if it doesn't? You can choose to live in a state of fear or you can choose to live in a state where you believe everything is going to go right for you. Both of those things are your imagination. You have to imagine, if I stay in my job, I will be secure and I will be stable. That's an imagination. Your, the, your job that you're working for could go bankrupt tomorrow. <laughs> True. I have to be in a state of imagination where I think if I take this risk with my podcast, I will be okay and I will be able to survive. I'm imagining both those states. So which am I going to choose? And I've just learned to be focused and believing in I have the ability within myself. I spent all my life thinking I didn't have those skills. And now I'm priming myself to believe that I do. For me, I think the biggest, the biggest, biggest eye-opener is what you sacrifice for what you don't need. So losing Ali, of course, is a very big lesson for me because we are paid as executives and professionals to control outcomes. We believe that life is going to behave the way we want it to when we push life in a certain way, but we have to be in control. Yeah, good luck with that. The truth is life is not going to be controlled and is not going to be easy all the time. The only thing that you can control life in, you know, the only format you can control life in is to, is to live it. That's the only thing you have control over is to, you can choose to live or not to live. You can choose to live fully or not to live fully. You can choose to live in line with your objectives, in line with your uh, values, with your dreams or not, okay? Mm -hmm. But anything else is out of your control. It's so, your choice. Yeah. And, and we don't believe that things are our choice. Last year, I remember I was going to so many events and it was all very nice and glamorous. And when people would say, can we hang out? I'd say, I don't have time. Mm. And then when I would, you know, make sure that there was plans, I'd say, I don't have time. And this year, I remember thinking, and you know, my grandma died when I was 17 and it was the biggest heartbreak of my life I went into so much depression because I didn't feel like I did enough for her and so 
with my granddad, her husband, who's alive, and with my grandma from the other side, I spend so much time with them because I never, ever want to feel that feeling of regret. I was only 17. I, did, I wasn't able to take her here and do this. But this year, I realized it is my choice to go to an event rather than spending a day out with my niece. It is yeah. my choice. Yeah. So what am I going to do? Yeah. And that's why I don't go now. Because like, you can't have it all. I only have seven days a week. So on the two days that I'm going to not work in the evenings, am I going to spend it with my family or my friends or go to events? I have to balance it. But whatever choice I make, it's, it's mine. You know what I love most about you? It's that fierce seeker. There is a very interesting one in there that's constantly saying, yeah, that's how I'm told I'm supposed to do something. I'm not going to do it that way. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely my favorite trait in a human. So I am honored to have spent this time with you. I think you're, uh, what did she tell you? I think you're going to do something amazing. <laughs> I think if you keep following your dreams and if you keep looking at yourself and asking, what do I enjoy? What am I good at? Can I do more of that? Can I make a choice? Mm. Honestly, that's all it takes really. For ev everyone I've ever seen succeed, just made that choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're amazing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and for all of you listening, this uh, thrilled my heart, honestly. I loved this conversation. I love that paradox of fragility and determination that Shivani showed here today. I think the idea that we're not good enough, believe it or not, I've worked with billionaires and CEOs and heads of states that still thought they were not good enough. It's such a, an interesting disease in our world. Good enough for what? I think that's the question. Good enough for what you enjoy is truly the answer. It's truly the answer. And if you can't give up on paying a mortgage or whatever it is that keeps you at your job, at least try. Try to put in your 10,000 hours in what it is that you believe you're good enough at, that you believe you can enjoy. That is your E tone. That's your resonance, your natural resonance. And yeah, I believe I'm, I never actually believed I was good enough at this, but I enjoy it so much. This podcast, I enjoy so much. And so I think I will keep doing it if you guys don't mind. And if you want to help me with that, just uh, do the stuff that people do, like like it on social media and share it with others. And yeah, that's crazy stuff that gets us to succeed in this world. Yeah, and whatever it is that you're doing this week, I remind you as always, there will be one hour or maybe a few uh, where you can slow down. So do it, slow down and reflect and write down what your goals are and how to break them down. But most importantly, write down what you enjoy, what makes you light up because that's who you really are. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.